Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. This episode is sponsored by LifeX. Visit LifeX, spelled L-I-F-X, dot co slash pragmatic for more information and to take advantage of a special discount off their amazing LED smart bulbs exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. I'm your host, John Chigi, and I'm joined today by my guest host, Mike Hurley. How are you doing, Mike? I'm very good, sir. Thanks for having me back. Well, thanks for coming back. Much appreciated. Uh, the daylight saving uh, episode was a lot of fun, so I thought it might be nice to to get you back and talk about something else that I'm not sure whether you find this as irritating as I do. But this is uh, I want to talk about tablet laptops. I'm pretty sure that there aren't many topics that you could throw at me that I would find more annoying than daylight savings time. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, the thing is, when I say tablet laptops, you do you know what I'm sort of referring to when I say tablet laptops? As in, it's a tablet and a laptop. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. that's sort so of like uh, like the yoga. <laughs> you know, you're familiar with the yoga pad. I think it's uh, Le- Lenovo, mm. the one that like mm. is it spins around and and, and all yeah. strange. Yeah, that that sort of stuff. Yeah, the, the idea isn't new. It's been around for a decade or more. Where you had re- reversible, you know, like a, a computer with a res- usually a resistive screen at that point, and you know, you you flip the keyboard out of the way, and these things are mechanical nightmares because you know the hinges would break and you know it would all run windows which was also yeah. a tragedy but there you go they were these were microsoft's first foray into tablets i remember uh this this will maybe kind of put it into perspective for, for podcast listeners i remember like twit like episode like an like a before number 10 episode or something like that of the show and they were recording the, a video live from a bar and Leo had bought himself a uh, a Windows tablet and was using that for the show and he was talking about how much he loved it but then by the end of the show everyone including him was kind of saying how terrible it was and obviously this was way before the iPad for like 2005 or something like that so yeah, and, and like yeah. Twit's up to like it's in like the three hundreds or something insane now probably. So yeah, yeah, I it's remember it from been there. going a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. So there's yeah, they, you're right. They have been around. They've been around a while, and uh, all, all of the geeky geeky people are saying, "Oh, these things are fantastic." But uh, Apple looked at it and they shook their head and said, "No, we don't think that's going to work." And here's an iPad, uh, and they only made the keyboard for it uh, for the first model, and then they never made it again. So. They clearly decided that the idea of a tablet like a laptop is just not is just not going to work. But I, the thing is, it goes back and forth, and I've seen people debate this. And I wrote an article about this uh, about a year ago, and it's linked in the show notes um, called "Tablet Laptops You Can't Fight the Physics." And I guess I just wanted to do an episode of Pragmatic that addressed that in a, in actually a lot more depth than I did in that article. So we'll see how we go. So all right. Um, Obviously, or perhaps not obviously, I want to tackle this from two use cases. So there's the laptop use case and there's the handheld tablet use case. But the same principles I'm going to talk about will apply to both cases just in different ways. So I've got to put my hand up and first of all state that I have not used a Surface Pro 3. Uh, They are still relatively new. And whilst I am going to refer to the Surface Pro 3 
as during the show, it's not specifically about the surface. It just the surface is simply the the latest example of of a company, a big company, trying to push this idea, and the idea hasn't done so well. And I just give you my theories as to why. But anyway, but I have played with the Surface too, and that was a few months ago. I had a friend at work that had one and thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. And I also messed around with them in different shops over the last year or so. And yeah, so I have played with them. So yeah, I've got a bit of a handle on it, but not the Surface Pro 3. So I've got to put my hand up and admit that up front. Yeah, I've done the same. Like I have played with a Surface Pro 3, but just in like a, you know, like a UK equivalent of like a Best Buy. So I I wouldn't really call myself even nearly like an authority on on the subject. Yeah, and I, and I guess if you know if if that sort of thing is an issue, then you know stop listening now. But the bottom line is that this is not specifically about um, the software that runs on it. This is just purely about the hardware and the physics. That's all I'm interested in. So in many respects, it, it doesn't actually matter all that much. But anyway, so we'll get to that. Okay, so first of all, uh, again, just to refresh um, the memories of people, uh, I'm actually I'm an electrical engineer. I'm not a mechanical engineer, and Almost everything I'm going to talk about in this episode has to do with mechanics. So, in the first year of uni, I did, we covered uh, statics and dynamics. Actually, no, I think dynamics was second year because we needed some of the more advanced mathematics to do the dynamics. And I hated them as a subject. I hated both of them. Uh, I did kind of okay at them, but really, I was glad I was doing electrical engineering at that point because it bored me to tears. That said, it's uh, it's sort of stood me in uh, in sort of good stead over the years because that little bit of knowledge has sort of helped a little bit. And oddly enough, I never would have thought when I was learning this back 20 years ago that I'd ever be talking about it. But here we go. Okay, so have you ever heard of anything called a turning moment? No. Okay, cool. Um, it's a bit of a weird name, actually. When I heard moment, I, th- I thought instantly of the, um, um, the day, day of the doctor, you know, yes. Because that that big box that he uses to it was going to use to destroy everybody, um, you know, it was called the moment. So I thought, oh, a turning moment. Oh, that's kind of cool. And no, it's not a box that can destroy stuff. So anyway, um, for those maybe PCs, uh, yeah. laptop PCs are the like boxes that can destroy <laughs> things, <laughs> destroy your will perhaps to yeah. live. But yeah, it's after a lot. Give it long enough. Uh, uh, they're not that bad, but yeah, okay. I know. It's, I know what you're getting at. Okay, so turning moments are also referred to as a moment, a moment of force uh, and torque. So the bottom line is that you have a load, you have a fulcrum, which is also referred to as a pivot point, uh, and you have force, so the force that you're applying. But essentially a turning moment with the word turning probably gives it away. It's about an angular twisting force. So if I'm pushing up against a wall with my hand, um, that's a linear force I'm pushing against that wall. But if I'm turning a doorknob with my wrist, that is an angular twisting force. And the measurement of that force is what's referred to as a turning moment. So why am I going on about turning moments? Well, if you consider a tablet without a keyboard and sitting in your hand on the lower edge and you're using your fingers to sort of prop up the back of it, so you're holding it up towards you facing you... um, that's going to be a lot easier if it's in lying in your hand in landscape along along the uh, the long edge versus along the short edge because well it just I'm going to say it just is but for reasons that'll become clear in a minute so if it's on its if it's on its long side it's not as tall and therefore when you're sort of resting in the palm of your hand you're propping it up with your fingers behind it the actual amount of uh, turning moment pushing against your fingers that's going to be significantly less simply because of the height so. The whole idea of a turning moment is that 
if you have, uh, I don't know, just think of a ruler as a simplest way of doing it, a rule, sorry, rule, ruler, I got pulled up on that too. Uh, and you want to turn, you want, you want to actually push one side of that ruler down. God, this is such a bad example. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a better example. A seesaw, there we go. A uh, seesaw, um, North Americans call it a, a teeter-totter. You know what I'm talking about in the playground? Yeah, I mean, we call them seesaws, but yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. So for our North American listeners, teeter-totters. And uh, as opposed to tater-tots, which is something completely different. But anyway, um, <laughs> that, never mind. I don't know why I thought they were similar. Anyway, so the idea is you've got to pivot, but it's right in the middle. So it's perfectly balanced. You've got an equal amount of uh, weight distribution across that plank. And as you push on one end, because it's rel- it should be well-balanced, it takes very little amount of force in order to push down one side if you're pushing from the end. If you walk towards the middle where the pivot point is and you try and push down, it takes significantly more force in order to actually push that swing, or that, that teeter-totter, that, that seesaw, to push it down. And that's simply because the distance that you are away from your pivot point will proportionally reduce the amount of force required to move what it is you're trying to move. So when it comes to weight distribution... If you're using this, uh, using a tablet laptop as a laptop, then you're propping up the tablet, and it's the mass distribution within the tablet is all within the tablet, and there's hardly anything within the keyboard. So the keyboard is relatively light, the tablet is relatively heavy. So what that means is that its pivot point, which is the join between the keyboard and the and the tablet itself, that pivot point is going to want to tend to fall backwards. Or forwards because, you know, well, mainly backwards uh, because you're going to tilt it backwards to look at the screen if you're looking down at it on your lap or if you're on a desk because you're up and above it, you need to tilt it backwards slightly. And what's going to happen is because that weight distribution for a tablet is designed for a tablet, sitting on the desk like that, it's going to want to fall backwards. So you've got to prop it up. And it's going to try and, before I go any further, you've got to talk a little bit about center of gravity. So the idea of the center of gravity is that if you perfectly balance something and you have an equal load distribution within within your within your tablet, let's say your rectangular box, there is a point usually roughly you would hope in the middle of the back where if you prop it up on your finger that it'll balance beautifully. And that and the center of gravity is simply you know all about well all of the different corners and all the different uh, parts of the tablet are falling at the same rate. Therefore, all of the individual forces cancel out to give you a turning moment of zero. So the idea is that you're, you can bounce it on center of gravity on, the, on a point. And, the, and usually you want that to be in the middle of the device. But if you're propping it up on one edge and you've got an even weight distribution, then your center of gravity is going to make that want to fall backwards because yeah, it's not balanced. So that's the gist of where we start with turning moments. And we'll come back to them later. So let's talk a little bit about the weights. And I wanted to compare it to an 11-inch MacBook Air because if you look at the Surface Pro 3, the screen on the Surface Pro 3 is up to, I think it's about 12 inches now. Whereas uh, if we look at a MacBook Air, we'll go with the 11-inch MacBook Air uh, because it's it's closer in physical size, although the screen is slightly smaller rather than the 13-inch. But in any case, the point is that Starting to compare and contrast some of the differences. Um, you know, the Surface Pro 3 does not have a full-size keyboard. The 11-inch MacBook Air does have a full-size keyboard. In other words, the keys are exactly the same size as you would get on a desktop keyboard, the same spacing, everything. Whereas the Surface Pro 3 is not quite there. It's close. It's subtly, it's a little bit more cramped, but it's not too bad. 
Even so, it's not technically full-size, quote-unquote full-size. But it's close enough for comparison. So you put them next to each other, they're going to be very similar in dimensions. So I did a lot of digging to try and find out the individual weights. And surprisingly hard to find, actually. Uh, maybe I'm looking in the wrong places. If any listeners <laughs> know the actual numbers of the latest model, please tell me. But I can only find 2008 MacBook Air screen weight. As a, and when I say the, the weight of the screen, I mean specifically the removable component that is the screen. So... And I think I got this one from iFixit. And the 2008 MacBook Air screen weighed 465 grams. The total 2008 MacBook Air weighed uh, 1,360 grams or 1.36 kilograms. So what I've done just for the purposes of this comparison to compare it to the current 11-inch MacBook Air spec, and I realize that this is a little bit fluffy, but oh well, I've assumed that the ratio of weight between the screen and the base of the MacBook Air has remained the same, such that now the overall weight of the MacBook Air is down to 1,080 grams or 1.08 kilograms. Therefore, a a proportional reduction in the screen weight should be around about 370 grams. Whether that's actually correct or not, it probably isn't going to be exactly right, but it's close enough for the purposes of comparison. Okay. Now, on the Surface Pro 3... The tablet itself weighs 800 grams. The keyboard itself is 255 grams. And I'm basing that again because oddly, the information for the for the keyboard is not out there that I could find. Uh, I've, so I've gone based on the fact that it's in very, very similar to the Surface Pro 2 Type 2 keyboard, which you know, information is out there. So that 255 grams is actually the Surface Pro 2 Type 2 keyboard. Um, because I couldn't find the details for the third generation one. I mean, any differences between these models is going to be minimal at best anyway. Like you're going to be looking at tens of grams at the very most, I think, for differences between these model revisions. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Basically, I think for for the sake of just comparison... the the actual individual weights of model to model I don't think is too much of an issue. Yeah, yeah, no, you nailed it. Absolutely right. And complete, completely agree. Uh, I just want to make sure that I'm honest and upfront though what I got the, where I got the numbers from, mm-hmm. uh, lest people will come back and, and yell at me, which they may do anyway. Because someone so, will have case, the numbers, you know. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to say, oh, no, that's not 255 grams. That's 256.3 grams. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. But anyway. So, uh, yeah, but you're absolutely right, Mike. And for the purposes of comparison, it's close enough. So, the overall mass of a Surface Pro 3 with its accompanying... Uh, Surface Pro Type 3 keyboard or thereabouts, is uh, 1,055 grams or 1.055 kilograms. So when you compare that, that's within 25 grams or thereabouts of an 11-inch MacBook Air. So I think that they are very equally comparable. So not just in the size of the screen, but the size of the keyboards. Uh, They are essentially, you know, here's Apple's laptop and here's Microsoft's laptop. Oh, by the way, you can also pull the keyboard off and make it into a tablet. And that's their pitch. It's both. We can give you both. So let's just quickly look at pricing. It's also really similar because you can get a Surface Pro 3 for the the model that I looked at, I think was the entry level, I think was $979, I think. $150 for the keyboard brings it to $1,129. That's US, of course. Uh, and the 11-inch MacBook Air is currently sitting at $1,099. So that's within $30. So within about 30 grams, within about $30. So it's all very, very close. And that's why I specifically chose that model because uh, you know they, they compare nicely. 
But if you have a look now that we've gone through all the numbers and think about getting back to the turning moments and the pivots and everything. So with with the Surface Pro, you've got 800 grams of, of mass that you're trying to support. And all you've got as a counterweight on the bottom is 255 grams. So that's if you had a, if you had managed to get that to connect and you had a very stiff hinge on it like they've got on the uh, 11, 11 inch MacBook Air or any of the MacBook models for that matter, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and uh, they will have a, a friction fit hinge such that that it has enough friction in it such that you can lift it up with a little bit of force, but then it'll hold in position. And it can do that because the screen only weighs about 370 grams. And the bottom of the laptop, you know, weighs more like about 700 grams. So there's clearly far more weight in the bottom than there is in the top. Whereas with the Surface Pro, it's the other way around, and but it's even more exaggerated. So they have no choice. They have to have a kickstand. So the kickstand then, of course, supports all of that, the, the, the desire for it to push over. And that then creates a new problem. It works fine on a desk. It works fine on a flat surface. When I say fine, I mean, yeah, it works okay. How adjustable it is is debatable whether or not you're comfortable with it or not, but, you know, it works. It's it's less adjustable in the angle than the adjustment you would have on any laptop because laptops are essentially got an infinite number of angles of adjustment within the viewing range based on the viewing angle of the screen. So you could argue that you could put it anywhere from, you know, only just creaking open by about 20, 30 degrees all the way to as far back flat as it could go for different viewing heights. And that's that's very handy on a laptop. But you don't have that luxury uh, with a Surface. So, And that kickstand is the reason why, because they've had to put the kickstand in uh, because there's simply not enough mass in the base. If they had a friction fit on the hinge, it would simply fall over because once you got past just past vertical, maybe 10 degrees past vertical, the center of gravity would pull the whole thing backwards. So you'd never be able to reach a good viewing angle for the screen without the kickstand. And the problem that that creates then is I want to use this on my lap. It's a laptop, or at least if you call it a laptop, some people you know call them notebooks, but whatever you want to call it, uh, I guess I'm used to calling them laptops because that was their original use case. No one used a laptop on a desk. Your laptops were used in your lap. But as you know, times have changed, cost has come down, people now take a laptop and they'll plug it into an external monitor, an external keyboard sometimes, and they'll use it at their desk, they'll pack it up, they'll take it home, they'll use it at home. And that's my use case right there, actually. But uh, the point is that when I'm on the train, I will use the laptop in my lap. And there are certain meetings that I've been to where there is no desk space because the table, there's, it's a big meeting, there's lots of people in there and there's no room left on the desk for it because everyone's got their laptop, but you know, you've got yours, but you can't use it because there's no desk space left. So it's like a meeting room for six people and there's 10 people in the room. What are you going to do? You're going to use a laptop on your lap. Now, I'll put my hand up and I'll say, fine, that's a, not the most common use case these days. However, trying to use one of these things on your lap, which I tried with a Surface Pro uh, 2, was ridiculous. I just I could not get it to balance properly no matter what I tried. And a few reviews that I've read so far on the Surface Pro 3, there's a subtly different mechanism for which it uses to... Um, for which it uses to... How do I describe this? It's like when you when you flip it up, part of the keyboard itself also sort of folds back and props up the bottom and lifts that lifts the keyboard up to create a slight angle uh, with the keyboard. And they yeah. say that that sort of... Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I know what you mean. Now when you do the kickstand motion, the keyboard kind of makes a, a wedge shape. 
like a slight yeah, wedge. Yeah, it, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a good way of describing it. And that, that they say, improves the stability. And the, the few reviews that I've read about it have confirmed that, yeah, it's a little bit better. But yeah, like it's better, but it's still fundamentally flawed. Like it's yes. better. It's just a, a better version of still not right. Yeah, so exactly. And what, 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 what I'm basically getting to, because I don't have too much more to say about the laptop use case, the problem I've got fundamentally is why would you pay the same amount of money for a laptop that you can't use in your lap? You're, you're essentially saying, well, I'm, I'm going to, if that's not my use case, then that's fine. But most people that have a laptop want to have the flexibility to use it in their lap if they want to. And there's another use case as well on, on a plane and if some of those uh, table trays, sometimes it's easier to work in your lap than it is to try and work on a table tray. But uh, you know, whether or not you believe that use case or not, because again, you hear different people say, oh, on a plane, I always put it in my lap. Or you know, if it's me personally, I don't actually put it in my lap. If I'm on a plane, I always use the table tray. But um, no matter how you choose to slice it, you are taking a reduction in its, its functionality. And... It, it's one less use case that you can use it for. So why would you do it? And I guess the ultimate answer is, well, for the fact that it's a tablet and that's the real, you know, oh, great, it's a tablet too. But I also have issues now <laughs> with where they're going with this. And I guess that's the next thing we'll talk about. But before I do talk about them, I just want to quickly talk about our sponsor for this episode. And that's LifeX. And that's spelled L-I-F-X. And it's a smart light bulb and it gives you previously unheard of control of your lighting. Each, white each, each light bulb is Wi-Fi enabled it can give you light in whatever color of the rainbow you want. And it's an energy-efficient LED light bulb that you can control with your smartphone. You've got over a 1,000 lumens at your disposal. It's incredibly bright, but it only consumes 18 watts of power at maximum, though most rooms only use about half of that. Controlling the brightness, color, and a range of different cool effects is really easy on your smartphone, and the LifeX smart bulb is made to last. It's rated for about 27 years, and that's at four hours a day. That's the equivalent of 40,000 hours. You're going to be moving house before you need to change that light bulb. So the LifeX bulbs support both standard Edison screw and bayonet connectors and will work at all standard voltages around the world between 100 and 240 volts AC. It has a developer-friendly SDK currently available for iOS, Android, Ruby, which means that if you can think of a great way to control them, you can go out and build it on whatever platform you like right now. Something different, something more recent, is that there's actually a competition currently open to developers until the 25th of July, 2014. So... If you submit an app by that deadline, you'll be in the running to win enough LifeX bulbs to fill every light socket in your house, as well as get free advertising for your app through LifeX and all of their channels. So check out blog.lifex.co for more information and be quick, the 25th is not far away. As I record this, it's now about 10 days away. Now I've been testing some demo bulbs and my kids went crazy because we basically got um, the smartphone app hooked up some music and with the speaker it picks up the music and it modulates the light in in basically in sync with the music like a disco and they had a dance party in the lounge room it was it was fantastic they had a great time they're always bugging me to do it again so anyway they are great fun now lifex bulbs are shipping today for only 99 dollars us with free shipping worldwide if you head over to LifeX, spelled again, L-I-F-X, dot co slash pragmatic, you can learn more about this. And if you enter the coupon code pragmatic, you'll save 15% off the total price of your order. And plenty of people have already gone and done that. I highly recommend you get in there. If you're thinking about getting one of these light bulbs, now is the time to do it. Use that coupon code, get your 15% off. 
it's not going that offer will not last forever. So I'd like to thank LifeX for sponsoring Pragmatic. So on to the tablet use case, I think, at this point. And this is where things get a little bit more interesting. I actually did a lot of digging to try and find different studies because there's, in, there's intuition and then there's actual study. So I can sit, I can tell you, Mike, hey, these big heavy tablets, you know, they're harder on my wrist, you know, like holding them, it's giving me a sore wrist. And you might say, well, yeah, well, duh. And I mean, I think most people would actually respond that way. Um, not that I presumed that you would necessarily respond that way to me, but still. Um, but feel free to say that right now if you want. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, because you look at like um, what's worse, like holding something or RSI, um, mm. and uh, is there what's the difference between you know with RSI when using one of these machines to using uh, a laptop that has a fixed position for the keyboard which is flat to the desk and you've got that little ridge there where maybe the touch type cover is more angled to the desk which might be better for your wrist i don't know so yeah mm. okay well fair enough i'm glad i asked actually so maybe maybe you won't say oh yeah, okay kind of duh but no apparently not so look here's the thing um go out there and try and find studies that have actually looked in this specifically for tablets because it's a very sp different use case and it's surprisingly hard to find but I did find one and it's linked in the show notes and it's definitely well worth a read and they they did an exhaustive study on this but they did this looking at tablets in two size ranges one was between six to eight inches and ten inches so the current Surface Pro 3 has a 12 inch screen so it's slightly bigger than the 10 inch use case and for this, we'll get to the, the results of that, you know, in a minute. It's the funny thing is you think it's all about the weight, but it isn't all just about the weight. It's also about the way that the mass is distributed. And because on larger screens, it's a longer distance, then that's going to create a much larger turning moment, as we sort of talked about very early on in the show, is that if you have a, the same amount of weight, and it's approximately, you know, and instead of that weight being distributed over a six inch area, it's now distributed over a 10 inch or 12 inch area, then the, the mass that's furthest away is going to cause more turning moment on your wrist as you're trying to hold it than the smaller tablet, simply because, well, that's mechanics. So the mass of a plane, any kind of plane, I don't mean like an aeroplane, I mean like a flat plane. Uh, where the mass is uniformly distributed, uniformly distributed is sometimes referred to as a lamina. So there's no specific formula that exists to calculate that generically because it's shape dependent. So if we understand the basics of the, you know, it's just it's a rectangle, it's a rectangular, you know, prism for the one of a better way of putting it, that's predominantly wide and uh, high and not very deep. So if we make the assumption, and I'm going to make, if all the math that's about to follow, I'm going to make the assumption, I should say mathematics that's going to follow, um, I make the assumption that everything is uniformly distributed. Okay, it isn't, but let's assume that it is. So, you know, because the battery is going to be predominantly on one side and, you know, the screen may well be a uniform weight distribution, but, you know, connectors and so on and so forth, it's going to have a different mass. The mass won't be exactly uniform, but let's assume it is for the purposes of this discussion. So turning moments are all expressed in in newtons, and newtons is a measurement of force. 
So uh, one Newton is one kilogram meter per second squared. And if we assume, again, that's uniformly distributed and we assume that uh, gravity is constant, which, you know, okay, it isn't, but at the surface of the Earth where most of us are located, that's 9.81 meters per second squared. So we can convert mass into Newtons of force by multiplying that through by the acceleration of gravity. So, uh, okay, I'm only going to consider force in longitudinal axis. I'm not, I'm not looking at, because technically the turning moments are in two axes or maybe even three axes. Oh, no, it's really two axes. So you've got the turning moment. If you're holding it in the bottom left corner of the screen, you're going to have one turning moment, which is turning it um, from right to left behind the hand uh, as you twist your hand around in a sort of a, a clockwise motion. And then you're also going to have the turning moment from the front to back as it as it pushes your wrist backwards. So I'm only really looking at the one that's pushing your wrist backwards. But honestly, you know, it's a simplification. And again, it's meant to illustrate the problem, not necessarily to give you the definitive final, this is the number of how much force is going into my wrist. So again, more caveats, because I've got to start with all the caveats. Otherwise, people will, you know, complain. And that is... It assumes that everyone is going to hold the device in one hand at the bottom. Okay, obviously people have different sized hands. They have different strengths. So a petite person with smaller hands will experience more fatigue most likely than someone who's you know big and surly has larger hands. Yeah, and that's just that's a function of the fact that you know you know different musculature and all that stuff. You know biomechanics notwithstanding. Again, not the point of this discussion, but yes, we I acknowledge that. And of course, a lot of people use their tablets with two hands. However, a lot of the convenience of using a tablet is to use one hand. I think that's that's still a very common use case, and that's the one I want to consider. One-handed use. Okay, so let's run through some numbers, because everyone likes numbers. Do you like numbers, Mike? Not, not really, but I will on this occasion. Oh, thank you. Okay, cool. For making an exception for me. Okay, so... There are five models I'm going to quickly run off. And maybe I didn't need to do five, but I just I will anyway. Um, we're going to talk about iPad 1, iPad Mini Retina, iPad Air, and then we're going to go Surface Pro 2, Surface Pro 3. So the dimensions, um, because I'm only considering the longitudinal axis, we're only going to focus on the overall maximum height of these. or uh, depends on how you want to think about height, but yeah, I mean, the, the maximum dimension of all of them. So the iPad 1 is 243 millimeters long and weighs about 680 grams. That's the Wi-Fi model. So all of these comparisons will be Wi-Fi models because I uh, you know, want to have compare you know, apples to apples as much as possible. <laughs> apples. Ding. Anyway. Ding. Oh, no. <laughs> Bingo. Okay. So that works out to about 6.67 newtons of force. And that converts into a turning moment of 197 millinewton meters. And I say millinewton meters because, yes, milli. It is actually quite a small amount of turning moment. But then again, most of the turning moment calculations are done on things like big buildings and civil structures that everything's referenced in kilonewtons, kilonewton meters. But no, we're talking about millinewton meters here. So, yeah, but that's okay. It's just your little your hand holding it. So, fair enough, huh? iPad mini retina, 200 millimeters long. And that works out at only 65 millinewton meters. The iPad Air, 240 millimeters long, and that works out at 132 millinewton meters. So all of the iPads, if I'm going just, back to the iPad 1... Sorry, John. Naturally assuming higher is mm-hmm. more force, it's worse for you. Correct. Yes, absolutely right. So you want a smaller number as possible. So the iPad, all the iPads, even the original iPad, 
were all 200 millinewton meters or less. Uh, based on the assumptions that I've made, based on just looking at that one longitudinal axis. So, yeah, and that's all worst case scenario. So again, I don't think it was designed with that in mind necessarily, but for comparative purposes, it's interesting, especially now when we compare and contrast that with the Surface. So the Surface Pro 2, which had the larger screen, is 275 long, which is already longer than the previously biggest iPad, which was the iPad 1. And that, as a direct result, it also, it weighs 900 grams. So it was also much heavier than the original iPad 1. And that obviously therefore works out at 334 millinewton meters, which is a good 130 or so, 140 or so millinewton meters more than the iPad 1. And the Surface Pro 3, 290 millimeters long, and that works out at 330 millinewton meters, which is almost identical to the Surface Pro 2. So what they've, and the way they achieve that is even though it's longer and it's got the larger screen, it's also 100 grams lighter. So you win, you, you win a bit, you lose a bit. So at least they acknowledge the fact that if we're going to give it a bigger screen, they have to make it lighter. And 100 grams is quite significant when you consider uh, the technology. It's, you know, that's, that's quite substantial saving in weight. So it's quite impressive really, to, to, to be honest, what they've managed to achieve. But even so, 330 is a good, you know, not quite double, but it's it's more than 50. It's about 60%, 58%, whatever it is more than the the, the heaviest iPad. And, and that hasn't been built in years. So the current top, well, I was going to say top of the line model, current iPad model, iPad Air, is only 132. So it's more than double the current model for the Surface Pro 3 in terms of the turning moment. So I thought it might be fun because, well, this I have a strange idea of fun, um, that what would happen if you wanted to achieve the iPad Air's turning moment, if that was your goal, then how much would the Surface have to weigh in order for it to match it in terms of, you know, to, to get the same result of, in terms of wrist fatigue just under those conditions? And I worked it out backwards. It currently it weighs 800 grams for the Surface Pro 3. In order to match it, that same turning moment as the iPad Air, you would have to strip that back to 484 grams. And that's... Uh, almost exactly but not quite the same weight as the iPad Air. So they had, they would have to go with, but with a 12-inch size, you know, screen on it, display on it. So that's a significant reduction in weight. That's nearly half what it currently weighs, not quite, but nearly. So that's um those are some numbers just to sort of chew on a little bit because and illustrates the problem, which is that it's not just about the weight. It's about how the weight is distributed and it's about how big this thing is. If you're going to hold something in your hand, there's a limit to how big it can be. And that's the bottom line. So what Microsoft have done is they've said, okay, we want to have the best tablet laptop that we can get. People aren't using it so much as a laptop, but we want them to be able to use it as a laptop. So we'll make the screen bigger. But in so doing, what you've just done is you've made it harder to hold and more painful to hold in your wrist. So yeah, it's got a bigger screen, but it's going to make your wrist or much more fatigued as a direct result of that size. Even if you have trimmed back the weight, you haven't trimmed it back nearly enough in order to make it as comfortable as an iPad Air. And certainly, um, the iPad Retina Mini, which is the one I've got. And it's a massive gap to get down that sort of size. And you never... I don't think it's... Unless they made it just out of the glass, like the glass was the only mass in the thing. And I mean, maybe someday in the future, they'll be able to get to that point where it's so thin and light and, and so on that none of that matters. Or rather, the turning moments will be at such a point where they can get it down to 480 grams 
add a 12 inch screen and all this discussion will be a moot point. But until that happens, if I were to pick up the two of them, I would last a lot longer holding an iPad Air than I would with a Surface Pro 3. So what have they achieved? They've they've improved the, the laptop use case by giving it a bigger screen at the expense of its usability as a tablet. So where does that leave us? I guess other than frustrated is it illustrates, I think, the problem with this device is that fundamentally it is a compromised device and Microsoft's had this mantra for ages now, Windows everywhere, you know, and I just, I get this feeling that they're obsessed with this idea of, you know, we want one brand and Windows everywhere is the solution to all of your problems and the Surface is the solution to all of your computing needs because now you can have the best of a tablet and the best of a laptop. And that whole idea is just doesn't work because Apple have, have, have illustrated quite perfectly with the iPad that you know, you've actually can take something designed specifically for touch, still make it interoperable with your desktop platform through you know iCloud and synchronizing and you know you've got optimized interfaces for both of those and it's okay to have more than one device because you can refine and you can make each device specifically so very good at that specific use case that that becomes more compelling than oh I can save a few dollars and get one device that does everything because ultimately you're going to end up with compromises in all of the use cases for that device you just can't win. You can't fight the physics. That's the problem is, you know, and, and I think Apple figured that out. You know, Microsoft aren't stupid. I'm not suggesting that they haven't figured this out. I mean, and, and the thought occurs to me, if, if I was working for Microsoft and they got some a lot of smart people working there, they know all this. Nothing that I've said in any of this is rocket science. It just isn't. It's it, In many respects, it's almost obvious. It's putting numbers on the obvious. So why would they continue to make such a product? And that's I just keep coming back to the fact that that has been their mantra. Their mantra is, this is the one device that you need. This is all you need. And I just don't think that that's possible. What, do you, what, are, you, what are your thoughts, Mike? Um, I think in some instances, it is all that people need. Because you see people just using iPads now, right? people that don't have computers um, and they're able to get most of what they want done with with an iPad. Um, And I guess if you looked at those same people and put them in a business scenario, then maybe the the Surface could could win out. Um, But now they've got Office on the iPad. You know, they kind of have destroyed their own competitive advantage. Office was the the thing, right, that that made the Surface uh, a product that you'd want to get. Sure. Because as well, like, you know, especially if you even look at where Microsoft's going even today, like they, they have a, a big conference going on today, um, talking to developers, I think, and and uh, they're, they're still promoting their, like, they want Windows apps to run the same on all devices now. Um, so they're kind of like, it's removing the need for even the Surface to be a full PC because it can just be, a tablet and use the the metro interface instead of needing to to worry about being a full on desktop PC as well. Um, I, I I think that for me personally, like I can't imagine wanting to use a device uh, like that 
full time because I like to be able to have a laptop and I use my laptop on my desk mainly. Um, but I also like the ability that if I take it anywhere, I can use it anywhere. And, you know, and I, I watch like the videos like the Verge does when they review these Surface tablets. And definitely the Surface 3 looks better than 2 or 1 in, in the way that it can sit on a lap. But you see uh, like David Pierce from the Verge and he taps the top of the, the Surface and it falls over. Um, because yeah. of the weight distribution, as you said, and you know, and it definitely looks like they're getting that better. And I think as time goes on, they'll continue to. But there's always going to be science preventing them from being able to weight the thing out properly, which is why all of the heavy stuff is in the base of the laptop instead of in the screen of the laptop. Like that has been worked out a long time ago. The thick part is the bottom because then it weights the whole thing to the point where it it won't fall. And even you know it does all of that and we're not tapping the screens even you know but it understand yeah. but there's an understanding that the center of gravity needs to be on the base and that's what keeps the thing stable so i i am very happy to have uh, an ipad and a um laptop in my life like i don't even use a keyboard with the ipad i type on the ipad screen and use like a smart cover but even then like the smart cover is is even uh fundamentally flawed in some regards like you can't stand an ipad up on the smart cover um and try and tap anything on it without having to either be super gentle or you'll knock it down you know if it's standing yes. up and it's the covers is free form supporting it but that's not the like that's not meant to be a constant use uh, system or like uh, angle of the device like they show the smart cover being used there when you're watching a movie or something and it's supporting itself you're not really supposed to then go about and use the device with with you know a keyboard or even just like that apple don't show it that way and i don't think that they're in, it, the intention of the smart cover is to to promote that but that is exactly what microsoft are promoting with the surface is to have the case have be attached to this cover for to stand it up, but then you're also supposed to. That is the primary use case. That is not even just for videos or something. That is the primary use case of a Surface Three is to use the device that way. Yes, so I think it shows the difference Ultimate. between the two companies and the way they approach approach these things. Absolutely, and ultimately, that's the point. Is that you said just before that. The Surface Pro 2 is better than the 1 and the Surface Pro 3 is better than the 2. And so there's definitely an evolution and an improvement going on, but ultimately it can never get that much better. And because, you know, you can't beat, you can't fight the physics. And, and ultimately, ultimately, I just wonder how long they're going to persist with the concept. There will be people that say, yes, this is the right thing to do. This is the right way to go. But, you know, the thing is, if you're, if you're working primarily at a desk and primarily the same desk, and a lot of people in the offices are, you're already going to have a screen there. So if you're already going to have a screen sitting there, like a big 24-inch screen or a 22-inch screen, something like that, you know, if you're going to have a screen, you're going to have a mouse to plug in, you're going to have a keyboard to plug in because, well, they're cheap as chips and you've probably already got them. So, you know, why would you go to a slightly smaller keyboard that, you know, there's only one of them you can use on the Surface if you're going to, like, you're going to choose that one as the attachment. Now... Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just use an external keyboard and monitor? Because that's a that's a better experience because it's full size. It's you can pick whatever keyboard you want, or you know if you're stuck with the company's Dell you know keyboard or whatever. But you know I would argue that that's even a better experience than typing on you know the type pad cover. So ultimately, 
if that's your use case, then I, I don't understand why you would give up what you've already got, which has already been highly refined, to work with you know the the the, t- the trackpad on a on a smaller cramped keyboard just to say you've got the one device. I just to me it just doesn't make any sense. But then maybe I've just been doing this for too long, and you know I'm used to that refinement. And there are a lot of people out there that have got you know special clicky keyboards that they really like and. You know, they've got these special mice that they really like or an ergonomic mouse or whatever. And, you know, they're not people like that and like myself, we, you know, we see this, we shake our head. But maybe the average person looking at this, I'm not sure what an average person looks like, but apparently they exist. And the average person may say, oh, okay, great. Well, you know, the Surface meets all of my needs. But I would, I would argue that if you sat them down uh, with the two devices, an iPad and a MacBook Air, with all of the different advantages of both of those that ultimately they would choose that as a solution in the end and I think that's more the point for me anyway is that the more you use this stuff the more you realize that each of them is optimized for a certain use case and if you fit that use case then you know you're going to be gravitated towards the best the optimum solution for each of those as opposed to a compromise solution for both of those and um yeah, that's it. But yeah, you know, also having said all of that, Mike, I still want to play with one. I'd love to buy one, but I'm a geek. I would say that, wouldn't I? I think that. Like, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind trying it. Like, and I think that's up. You know, that's just the thing about us. But I'm ne- I would never do it. Like, I I think that about a lot of, of devices, and then I buy them. But I I I haven't got that much of an inclination to want to um to actually buy a Surface Three or a Surface of any kind. Yeah, I'd like to borrow one. Yeah, I was about month. to say, like, I'd, I'd happily, like, try one out for a period of time, but not more than that. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem is I just can't get past that, the lap use case. And, I mean, I wonder how many people have that use case. I mean, I, I don't know if it's even possible to do that on the tube. I'm going to assume not. I've heard I've heard too many sardine tin uh, references and comparisons to suggest that doing anything on your lap sitting down on a tube during rush hour would be impossible anyway would you could you comment on that i think it would be i I see people using laptops on the tube though like it does happen um people tend to use those sort of devices on longer trains as opposed to the tube so like if if you're going to be on the train for like 45 minutes to an hour or something people will pull them out but those those trains are set very differently they're like the rows of two seats you know Two on this side, two on that side, and they've also got little tables on them. So I think those those ones are built a little bit more, um, are built a little bit more for that. Uh, and also they have like power on them. You know, you, you can get um, like power sockets, power outlets. But on yep, the yep. tube, you'd ne- you'd never see. You, you'd, uh, it's very rare that you even see somebody using like a laptop or something on the tube. Yeah, I mean, tubes mainly standing room only, right? Um, th- there are seats, but the majority of people will be standing, whereas opposed yeah. to like a national rail train or, or something like that, yeah. that it will be the other way around. There's a majority seated. Yeah, I, I come from a little, you know, a little country town here. We've only got like one and a half million people in Brisbane. So, yeah, our trains are all... Just they're more like the national rail style of train that you're describing, whereby you know they have more seats. There's you know for you to sit down, and although you can reach a point when the trains are packed where you have roughly an equal number of people standing as sitting, 
if you get in early enough, then you there's plenty of seats and you can you know play on your laptop. And uh, I tend to get on at a station where a train originates, which means you get your pick of the seats. So the the train will come fresh out of yeah. the. Uh, the, the magic part of the train tracks where there are no other people <laughs> and an empty train comes up and you're like, ah, empty train, I get my pick of the seats. And, you know, that's great. But people further down the line don't have that luxury. And, and they probably get on, they look at me working. Neither do you when you're on your way home. Well, this the thing is, I'm going to say, and I actually catch it on the way home, I catch a train from its originating station. So I catch an, a train that originates from that station. Oh, I thought you meant on your way to. Way to and from. Whoa! <laughs> I know. I live at the extremes of one of the lines. So I, I I lived uh, on the Caboolture line, which is uh, yeah. So I'm about fifty five kilometers out of the city, um, which is something like thirty miles or whatever that is. Thanks for doing that for me. Yeah, let's go. I, I actually did, didn't know how didn't far know. it was. Yeah, yeah, about thirty miles. I mean, w- would you consider thirty miles out of the CBD of London to be? A fair distance, or is that like nothing to you? Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the journey. You know, that's 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 a real commute. Mm. Part of me doesn't like it, um, because it kills so much of my time. I used to have a train that ran Super Express. I used to call it the Super Express because it would run express past something like eighteen train stations. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. I could do the whole thing in like forty minutes on the train, which was great because my commute was like an hour and ten minutes each way. Sure. But then, then because there's uh, not enough bypass lines, and maybe that's another topic for another show. But because there's no, not enough bypass lines in the damn track on the northern segment, you end up uh, having to clear the track in front of you of the trains in front of you in order for the trains behind to run express, and that creates a big gap. And that's when people get you know all shirty and they say, "Well, I want to go down four stops, but I now have to wait 25 minutes while we clear out the so an express can run." before we get the next all-stations train, and I'm going to have a big cry about it. So then they introduce trains that don't run as express, but they still call them an express because they run past five stations. And I'm like, well, that's that's just not good enough. So now my commute has gone up to an hour and a half each way, so it's three hours of commuting every day. And that's that's a big chunk of my life, and I, that's when I get annoyed because I'm at the mercy of the you know, of their timetable changes. So Yeah. Ugh. Oh, well, I chose to live this far out. Only myself to blame, Mike. <laughs> Maybe if I had a Surface Pro 3, everything would be fine. Anyway. It probably um, would. I, don't I imagine it to improve your life. Absolutely. Um, that's not an endorsement or a recommendation. <laughs> but anyhow. Okay. Well, I don't have too much else to say on that. So, I might, we might, uh, unless you've got something else, anything else you want to add, we might wrap it up there. Short show? No, I... I- I mean, and pretty much, I think we're pretty much in agreement. I, th- I think it's, uh, it's interesting to see how people use these devices at the moment. I think that uh, a Surface maybe isn't necessarily the the best thing because of the way that Microsoft pushed the use of the device. Um, if they sold the keyboard as well, it maybe you wouldn't be able to criticize it so heavily. Um, hmm. You know, it's like oh, it also has the keyboard. But they really promote the keyboard use because also the the form factor of the the, the tablet or laptop is in such a way that it promotes it, you know, because it's widescreen. Yeah. Um. So it has a keyboard attached to it, where 
you know, you'd maybe say that the iPads are not necessarily made for that. I mean, Apple don't sell their own typing cover or anything like that. So they're maybe pushing less in that route. But because Microsoft are very clearly saying, this is how we think you should use the device, I think it opens it up to criticizing in that way. Yeah, it's a good point, And I agree with you. And honestly, um, if they were to try and push it from the tablet angle, I just I do wonder how that would go because you know they're saying here is a, a a tablet that is significantly heavier than the heaviest iPad, but it's got a much bigger screen, and that's about all you can say about it. Yeah. So if you want a big screen, that's great. But see, if they were pushing it as a tablet, just as a tablet, then sell a smaller version. Yep. Now, if you've got all this lightness and thinness, and you've managed to get it down to 800 grams in a 12-inch form factor, which is is pretty impressive, I will. I've, I said that, and I stand by that. that that's impressive. Just imagine what you could do, you know, with a with an eight-inch screen. You, I mean, that thing could be lighter than a Retina iPad Mini. You know, for all for all I know, if if they were to make such a device. But yeah, it, it is how they how they sell it is not helping their cause. So, be interesting to watch and see what they do next year. I think it's. Uh, I'll be interested to see if they backtrack and change their change their angle of attack. So I guess we'll wait and see. So if you'd like to talk, uh, talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi. That's J-R-H-N-C-H-I-D-G-E-Y. And check out my writing at techdistortion.com. If you'd like to send any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. And that's where you'll also find the show notes for this episode under Podcasts Pragmatic. You can follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter to see show announcements and other related materials. I'd also like to thank my guest host, Mike Hurley, for joining me today. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Mike, and your new uh, uh, endeavor? Uh, at the moment, um, because I am between podcast homes, pretty much, yes. um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, or go to MikeHurley.net. That's M-Y-K-E-H-U-R-L-E-Y.net. And just uh, for those listeners that don't realize that uh, Mike Hurley has, uh, is going and starting his own um, podcast venture. Can I call it an empire? Let's say yeah, empire is good. I like empire. Yeah, we'll go with that. Let's with empire. Empire. It's totally an empire. Okay, great. And it'll be launching very soon. So please uh, keep track of what Mike is up to and um, there'll be announcements uh, in due course. So uh, keep, keep your eyes out uh, open for that. So uh, also I'd like to thank uh, LifeX again for sponsoring Pragmatic. If you're looking for a great LED bulb that's energy efficient, remotely controllable, colorful, and just plain fun to use, remember specifically to visit this URL, LifeX, that's spelled L-I-F-X dot co slash Pragmatic, and use the coupon code Pragmatic for 15% off the total price of your order. Get in now while that offer lasts. And um, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, thanks again for coming on, Mike. Always a pleasure, John.